Hello, I'm Simon Jones. And I'm Steph McKenna. You're listening to episode 86 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. We're recording this on 1st of April 2020 here in Norwich. What have we got on the show today, Steph? This week, Simon, we have a conversation with Mark Stay, who's a writer and he's the co-presenter of the Bestseller Experiment podcast. Mark was in conversation with you earlier in the week uh, about his experimental approaches to publishing and adjusting to the new normal. So um, how to adjust when things change. Yeah, which is obviously particularly relevant to uh, everyone on the entire planet right now. <laughs> At the moment, yes. Yes, indeed. So yeah, we talked to Mark actually back in episode five, mm. I think it was, way back. Way back when? Yeah, I had a very brief chat with him at London Book Fair back in the day. And uh, I've been meaning to get him back on the podcast for a longer chat ever since then. So I'm very pleased to have him back on now. And yeah, it seemed particularly relevant and useful because Mark's someone who's always trying to do things in new ways and experimenting with new approaches and uh, I thought that might be of particular use to people right now. Absolutely yeah when you go on his website you see that he's involved in so many things. Yeah and uh, after listening to this I do also suggest people do check out his podcast The Bestseller Experiment. It's mm full of really great writing tips and advice and they talk to all sorts of writers just like we do um, and yeah if you, if you like our podcast you'll definitely like theirs and vice versa. Sounds like the perfect companion piece. And on the subject of finding a new normal do write in and tell us how you're adapting your writing techniques to the new reality that we're all found ourselves in. We'll have uh, contact information at the end of the podcast so here's me talking with Mark. Yeah, so we always take the rehearsals, as they say. There's a story of, um, I'm a big fan of Steely Dan, and there's a song called Reeling in the Ears, where they got a guitarist called Jeff Skunk Baxter to do the solo, and he did the first take, and it was amazing. And they didn't hit record. And they got, got the second <laughs> take, which was good, but apparently the first take was so much better. So, yes, always record the rehearsal, always record their banter beforehand. You never know what Exactly, exactly, yes. Great, well, thank you for joining us, Mark. Uh, my my pleasure. Yes, we are. We're recording all of our podcasts remotely at the moment. Something you've been doing for ages, isn't it? Because uh, with the other Mark, obviously being in Canada, you've uh, you've always had to do that. Yes, I mean we've um, we, the, the the remoteness kind of works for us. You know, it's uh, there's a nice back and forth, and you know it 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 gives us a nice perspective. But when I interview authors, I do try and get in the room whenever I can. Because mm. there is something about you know being there face to face. There's a much more easygoing sort of back and forth. Whereas uh, sometimes, especially if you've got terrible broadband, which I sometimes have, there's sometimes uh, are you uh, it about uh, about uh, uh, yeah you know that kind of thing. But um, no, we're doing pretty well this morning. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, usually most of the authors we have on the show tend to be people who have come up to Norwich, to Dragon Hall, to, to do other events or workshops with us. And then I right. basically force them into a room and talk to them for half an hour. Um, but yeah, right now, obviously, that's not an option. Um, yeah. So you were on our podcast way back in episode five. Wow. Very long time ago now. Um, and I mean, everything feels a long time ago at the moment because we're living in this very peculiar time. Um but we spoke at London Book Fair back in, must have been 2018, perhaps? Yes, I think so, um, yeah. And I, I believe you were meant to be talking at LBF this year, is that right? 
Yeah, I had a, I, this was going to be my big, this was going to be my Glastonbury, you know, I had all these panels lined up. It was going to be my big, you know, but uh, yes, we had a few lined up. It was, it was going to be fun, uh, but uh, alas, it was not to be, but uh, you know, it'll come around again. It'll come around again. It's, um, it was the right thing to do, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were all geared up for our usual LBF stuff and we were kind of about to hit print on all of our print materials and what have you. And everyone was holding their breath to see what would happen. But yeah, like everything else, it has been cancelled. Um, so I was kind of wondering from that perspective, uh, you know, any of these interviews that I'm doing at the moment, you can't not talk about coronavirus. Uh, and I was wondering about its impact on your writing process and if, if there has been one or if it's kind of business as usual in terms of the writing. Um, it completely blindsided me I think for about two weeks I it came at a wrong time because I just finished a screenplay and that was great and that's going off we got a producer attached to that and a director attached and that's all all tickety-boo um, but having just finished a project a big one as well with you know lots of intense writing you're kind of uh, a bit like a you know a saggy balloon anyway and then this comes along and I, at the time, I was waiting to hear about another book project. Uh, so I didn't know what to write for a while. I was kind of what, I don't want to start this because I might hear about this and I don't want to start this. I've just finished this. So it came at completely the wrong time. And of course, you know, as you know, it was just this torrent of things that would normally, things that would normally be number one headline on the news are like number five or six, you know, oh, they've shut the football down. <laughs> you know, So it's... um. It was just so much, and it, I was kind of a bit lost for a while. Luckily, I because I do editing as well. People send me their work to edit. I I was lucky in that I was able to basically concentrate on other people's work for for a while. But funnily enough, about three days ago, I started working on a half written short story I'd found hidden away, and I've just finished it this morning. And that's really got me back into the habit. And I also had some. Uh, news about a project yesterday, which I'm sorry to be vague about this, but that also put wind in my sails as well. So um, I'm kind of getting back into the groove because uh, it's once you lose that momentum, it can be very, very difficult to pick it up again. You know, one of the things we, if I can talk about the thing that we launched for the podcast at the beginning of the year, the Bestseller Experiment podcast, we launched a, a project called uh, the BXP 2020 Challenge because uh, my co-presenter, Mark DeVoe, who lives out in Canada. He's a single parent. He's got three kids. Uh, he loves to write, but struggles to find the time and the energy to write. And he'd had a very bad year. You know, his his wife had passed away. He, you know, looking after three kids. He lives in the middle of nowhere on Vancouver Island. Uh, and just finding that time to write was 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 proving to be very difficult. So what he did, based on kind of you know working with the Pomodoro method, you know where you set a timer for twenty minutes or whatever, um, he started writing a little every day. But m the most important thing that he did was he had an accountability partner. He had a friend who they would both check in with each other at the end of the day and say, "I've written so many words. I've written so many words." And that kind of accountability kept him going. And so it's it's evolved into this thing, this challenge that we've we've put together, where we're saying to people, look, if you want to write and finish a book, if you want to create a habit, a habit that lasts, all it takes is two hundred words a day, every day. So this idea that you just do, you know, you find 15, 20 minutes, just put everything to one side just for that short time, write those two hundred words. And if you cross that line, you can give your permission to stop at any time. 
and it's the 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 results the feedback if you look at the hashtag uh, hashtag bxp2020 on twitter you'll see all these people saying i've done 40,000 words this year i've done 50,000 words this year so far you know we 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 asked them to bank it on our website uh, on a page on our website that's the accountability part you saying to the world look i've done my little bit today and i can move on and i'll see you again tomorrow i mean my wife for example she's written children's books before but never written uh, a full length novel and she what are we the end of march and she's up to 55,000 words on on her on a debut novel and she started that in january and it's just been incredible seeing how a little every day and that's that's the method i use to get back into the swing of things just just this week i gave myself permission just to do a little bit every day and already after three days i'm feeling actually yeah i'm a writer again yeah brilliant i think it's easy to to focus on trying to maximize the number of words you're meant to be doing per day and if you hear other authors say oh yes i write i write five thousand words a day and then you you stress if you're not getting near those big numbers but actually focusing on a small number but doing it all the time is is more healthy in a way Absolutely. And I think there's um, some unhelpful kind of social media saying, well, you're at home, you might as well write that novel you've always wanted to write as if it's that easy. And of course, <laughs> there is that you are being bombarded with terrible news every day, scary news. And it, it is, uh, it is incredibly distracting. And so we've got people saying, Oh, you know, I've done, like I say, the 5000 words a day kind of person, you can you can kind of, think, Oh, why bother? But no, just give you know, if you don't, Give yourself permission, you know, to have a week off, you know, especially uh, what's going at the moment. You know, take some time, f- read some books, spend time with your family, play some board games, do some Lego, you know, whatever, whatever gets you, you know, calms you down and then get back into the writing. Don't feel you have to, to keep up with everyone else. Yeah, and I think the notion of routine is so out the window at the moment. Like everyone's been disrupted in some way whether it's having to work from home or because the children are at home constantly demanding attention, like everyone's having to adapt, aren't they? Yeah, you, you, I'm, that's, that's the other thing. I'm discovering a new normal because I would, I would usually get up at six to take my son to his bus stop and then he'd go to school. But of course, that's all finished. And we started getting up a little bit later and I was finding the mornings were over before I'd even you know realised it. And so I've started getting up at six again. I don't need to. But I've been getting up at six again, just finding that time in the morning because I'd, I'd done my writing by about nine thirty this morning, you know. So I've got lots of other things to do uh, instead of that. So yeah, you find a new normal. You find, you know, those old routines aren't any good to you anymore. So uh, it's um, it's a it's a constant adjustment, you know. Just when you think you've got to figure it figured out, you, you make another little change or another little tweak. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, you know, it's never a dull moment. <laughs> No, I think that's why I was particularly interested to talk to you at this particular moment in time, because you've kind of made a a career, particularly in recent years, of having a slightly experimental approach to your writing and Mm. and how you go about kind of getting it out into the world. Uh, Obviously, with the bestseller experiment, you decided to do a kind of live podcast journal of, of writing a book in collaboration. Uh, and then self-published it. And then after that, you then went the unbound route and mm. explored that kind of crowdfunded approach to publishing. Uh, and I was, I was kind of wondering what draws you to trying those new things all the time? 
Well, I, it wasn't really out of choice. Like everyone else, I'd love to sit back and have a three book deal with a nice hefty advance. But it's, <laughs> there are there are so many more uh, opportunities now to be published. And it was really the podcast that drove that. Matt, me sitting down with Mark DeVoe and uh, seeing this way of publishing coming of age. It was no longer a you know vanity publishing. You're seeing people who are writing genuinely really good books using great editors, great cover art putting great series out there um and uh, it just it's it was an area that i'd never dabbled in before and i figured what the hell what what have i got to lose and um it was it was really fun really really fun i've learned an awful lot uh from the podcast not least just li- talking to other authors i mean like like you simon i'm sure you know every time you speak to an author you learn something a little new you get a different perspective on this industry on on the craft that you might not have seen before and that in itself you know keeps me on my toes the unbound thing that was um came out of uh, the the editor uh, simon spanton who had previously been at gollance and moved to unbound and i really wanted to work with him because he's worked with the likes of scott lynch and Gerald crombie and uh, the unbound thing I figured it could be part of the podcast. You know, let's talk about crowdfunding and how it works as it's becoming an increasingly common way for, for authors to get their work out there. Uh, so, yeah, it's some... I don't think I've done anything the same way twice yet, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's some... It's Again, it's, it's, just, it's just illustrative of how this industry has changed in such a short, short space of time. When I started, it was very much a straight line. You were an author, you sent your book to an agent, that agent sent it to a publisher, that publisher uh, sent it to you know retailers and distributors, and then eventually it gets to the reader. But now you can hop, skip and jump over all of those and have a direct relationship with your readers, which is incredible. And I, I found that to be probably the most rewarding thing you know, having a newsletter and a website and being on Twitter and Facebook and what have you, just, you know, getting to know the people who read your books is um, is a wonderful thing. And, you know, again, you don't necessarily have to go to festivals or bookshop events to do that, which which I enjoy doing, but of course we can't do that at the moment. But, you know, I've been chatting to, to readers uh, all these last couple of weeks, just, you know, finding out how they are and checking in and, and other writers as well. But that's um, that thing of the the author having a direct relationship with the reader is extraordinary. And if you're a writer and you're not taking advantage of that, I really think you're missing out. Mm. No, I totally agree. And I think the fact that all the literature festivals, well, every type of festival, but literature festivals are basically on shutdown at the moment for the foreseeable future. So any writer that isn't kind of plugged in digitally to their audiences for the next few months are not going to have any connection. Um, Whereas, yeah, people who have established that kind of just carries on as it was before yeah i mean i can i can understand why some people just don't want to be in the spotlight um they don't want the story to be about them they want the writing to speak for themselves but i think as uh time moves on it's going to have to be part of your skill set as, as an author to be able to you know present yourself to your readers in a you know a professional way on social media or through your own newsletter or whatever medium that you choose could be a YouTube channel could be a podcast, you know you do have to have a a publicity you a version of you that you present to the public uh, to get them to read your books because uh, that you can't 
expect that Facebook is always going to be there. You can't expect that Twitter is always going to be there. You can't even expect that Amazon is always going to be there. If you if you have a little plot of land online, a little website where people can come to you for news and updates and find out what you're about, uh, then I think you're much more likely to have a, a, an ongoing career. And I know that might make some writers wince at the thought of that, but you can make it as big or as small as you want. But I think it's essential to have, you know, a little square foot of land on the internet that says, this is me. Yeah, definitely. And I think it also connects in with what you were saying just now about the, the 2020 challenge and having a kind of a, an accountability partner. Because mm. with my writing, where I serialize it online, essentially it's that same thing where you're, you're inviting the public to check it out. But then because they're doing that, that gives you the impetus to keep writing and to do the next piece and, and to keep going rather than kind of existing in a vacuum in your study. Absolutely, because you do. And again, I've had this, you know, with all the madness going on in the world and, and I was waiting for news on a project. And I was thinking I had a day where it's just like, what's the point? What's the point in doing this? Is there any point me, you know, going on, just putting this out into the ether? And then you get a bite back. Someone, someone tugs on your fishing you know rod and you think ah ah there is life out there is a point in doing this because this is why we do this we don't you know we, we write for the satisfaction of it but we also write because we love getting responses from readers we love people saying i really enjoyed this part or i i you know it, this 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 related to something in my life or whatever just so that kind of feedback is is terrific yeah and i think at times like this when you can you look at NHS workers who are you know working around the clock to try and save people's lives and make some kind of progress in terms of the the mad situation that the world's found itself in, and then you know you sit down to to write a novel about some wizards or something, and it can feel a little bit like why am I doing this? But in fact, the usefulness of fiction is even more critical at this moment. I think. Well, there's a reason fiction sales have shot through the roof the last few days people people want to escape you know but like i said it just last night we had at the time of recording we we had this thing last night where at eight o'clock everyone stood on the doorstep and, and applauded all the care workers all the nhs workers that's feedback that's people saying we appreciate you you know we appreciate what you do and i think that's just a human need that maybe it's just me maybe i'm just needy and craven but you know we love we love to be told that yeah keep going keep going you know it's uh, it's it's worth it uh, in terms of keeping going i'm i'm curious about when you left the publishing industry essentially because um, you worked at orion for 15 years was that right yes i did yeah yes and you left to pursue your writing more full time well i was made redundant so it was, it was one of those things where I could I could see it coming for quite some time. There were changes happening, and you thought this this is this is not sustainable. So I had already been thinking for quite a while about you know a big life change, and it is kind of scary. You know, I'd been there a while. I got a redundancy payment. It, it could you know feather the mattress for for a short while, um, uh, but uh, it, it was. I, I'm glad I did it. I'm really, really glad. I've had a couple of moments where you wake up at four in the morning wondering how you're going to pay the mortgage. Uh, but again, it becomes the new normal. And um, it's, uh, it's it's something you adjust to over time. And you make contact with other writers who've done the same thing and they reassure you. They say, you know, don't worry. It's, you know, you have these ups and downs, but in the end, it turns out okay. So, um so yeah, it's it has been a big change, uh, changing routine. I'm glad I don't have to commute anymore, although I did most of my writing on my commute. Um, you know, so the the change has been um, gradual, 
but I've enjoyed it. I'm I'm so glad I did it. And you know, to keep the money coming in, there's bits of writing, but also bits of editing. Like I say, I do readers' reports, I do copy edits and uh, uh, development edits and stuff like that for folks. Uh, so that's kept the money coming in. Um, and you know, I've got a couple of you know a TV and a film project on the go as well. So that's brought a little bit of money in. So you know, you just have to keep hammering away. I mean, I spent. I knew I had about twelve months where I could just. Right, 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 right. And it's now kind of coming to fruition. All that writing is, you know, I'm getting better film optioned, a TV series optioned, um, and uh, some news and a book deal as well. So it's uh, it was time well spent, I think. Uh, there was a scary part in December where money was running low, and I was thinking, oh, I might have to cancel Christmas. <laughs> Alan Rickman style. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Call off Christmas. Where was I? I distracted myself with Alan Rickman. Um. <laughs> I love that film. I have so much. In fact, that was here's a little thing. I, I one of my first jobs was in a hi-fi shop in Dorking. Okay, uh, and one of the we used to sell CDs as well. And one of the reps was a guy called Steve Densham. He worked for BMG Records, and his brother was Penn Densham, who wrote Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> and I think that was the first connection I had to a screenwriter. Ever. It was one of the most exciting things when I discovered oh, your brother wrote that film that I saw and really, really love. So that was, uh, yeah, that was really exciting. It made me, it made it a li- for someone who had no connection to the film world whatsoever. Um, you realize that, you know, you don't have to be some uh, film school graduate or whatever to, to get out there and make it. There are opportunities for people to, you know, to do their own thing now more than ever, in fact, you know. So, yeah, weird little connection there. Yeah, it's useful to, recognize sometimes that there's real people behind these things and it's not some massive kind of royalty that is unassailable to normal people yeah i think there is um you know you hear a lot of authors talk about uh gatekeepers and guardians and um you know and i've always said to people you you have to if you want to be part of the film industry, you have to move in those circles. If you want to be part of the film publishing industry, you have to move in those circles. You have to find that community and become a part of it. There's no point standing on the other side of the fence, sort of hopping up and down, trying to look in, you know, look in. Um, there are ways in. There are always opportunities. I remember, I mean, I loved books, so I worked at a bookshop and got to know people in publishing. That's how I got into it. It wasn't an overnight thing. I knew it wouldn't be. Um, but it, it, I learned everything I could about the publishing industry, about how publishing worked, agents, uh, advances, all that kind of thing. Uh, and then I, I worked for a publisher and then learned how the digital world worked, you know. So I made myself part of that community. I, you know, I'm from a working class family. I never went to university, never studied writing in any, you know, beyond sort of A levels. Um, so I just kind of slowly chipped my way in. And likewise in the film world, no connections whatsoever, but I, I, I went to, networking events i met people in the film world i got an agent through that i met a director through that and that's how robot overlords came about it's some you you have to sort of you know forge your own path there and i won't pretend it's easy and it's easier for some you know being a white male uh, it's it's probably easier for me than it is for others but again i think the industries are waking up to that and offering more opportunities to people who've previously been overlooked so you know and now has never been a better time you know you just need a pen and a paper to write like yourself you can put stuff online and get people to give you feedback on it you can make a movie on a smartphone these days so um you know make 
become part of that community or even make your own community. It's one of the things we've done with the podcast. It's uh, over the three and a bit years we've been going now. We've got this fantastic community. I've got a pile of books about 20 high from listeners who've had their work published since the podcast started and in every one of those books we you know we get a thank you in the back which is amazing because we or in fact more likely the people that we interview on the podcast have inspired them to knuckle down write finish their books and either get published or self-published you know we've got at least two authors who've got three uh, book deals with gone ants they've been we've got authors published by hq avon hera Others have self-published fantastically well, you know, so it's, um, and that's just in three years. So I think this could go on and on and on. It's uh, the opportunities are there. Yeah, it's amazing. And I remember back to the very early episodes of the bestseller experiment where you were very much the cynic and weren't really sure if your own experiment would go anywhere. And I bet you didn't imagine having this 20 high pile of books at the end of it from other people. Well, I I, did, I remember saying to DeVoe, because uh, if your listeners are listening to this for the first time, we, we challenged ourselves to write, edit and self-publish a book within 12 months and try and get it up one of the Kindle charts and get one of those bestseller flags. And I said to him, look, more books fail than succeed. This is every chance of being a, a complete car crash. But to increase the odds, I said to anyone listening, I said, beat us to it. If you've got a half-written novel in a drawer or you've always wanted to write a novel – beat us to it and so many people did and so many of our listeners are now doing much much better than we are you know they're having much more successful careers um than we are and it's it's been really gratifying it's 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 for me it's the most gratifying part of the podcast is seeing uh these these folks from all walks of life going on to have great publishing careers already uh and um yeah it's uh, i'm so glad we did it i i was very cynical at the beginning because it is hard uh, I, I don't, and I didn't want it to be formulaic. I didn't want us to come across and say, "Oh, there's just a simple formula to writing a novel. It's A, B, and C." I mean, uh, we don't pretend the craft is easy, but we try and help you in every way that we can. And uh, we, you know, we have a, a group on Facebook made up of our Patreon supporters, and we all cheer each other along. It's one of the most positive spaces on the net out there that I know of. I, I check in there all the time. And um, yeah, it's it's a really good atmosphere. That community we've built up has, um, has kept me going through some dark days, you know, so, uh, and I know we've done it for our listeners as well. Mm, it's interesting because uh, online community has had a hard half decade, I think, as social media has kind of taken over and then increasingly had a bad press and encountered various unexpected consequences of their reach. <laughs> um, but when actually carving out your own little niche communities online can be the more successful route to go. Oh, I think that's absolutely right. One of the reasons the BXP group on Facebook works is because it's not too big. There's about 150 of us in there at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just the right size. Whereas, you know, if you try and write an episode of Doctor Who and put something vaguely interesting in there, you can, you know, you've still seen how people pile on, you know. Uh, so I think, you know, it's the bigger the community is not necessarily the better. I think, like you say, find your own niche, find out where your fellow authors live, find out where the kind of readers you want live and uh, set up stall there, you know, or set up your own stall and try and draw them in. Uh, but yeah, those little little fiefdoms um, make all make all the difference. I think you know that sense of community is uh, 
Uh, and you know, you, you can do it on Facebook groups. You can set up your own website, your own blog, or whatever. It's um, yeah, I think the more niche, the better. Yeah, definitely. And you know, as we're all having to physically isolate ourselves at the moment, the the opportunities to form those new connections online are even more important than usual. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's funny. I I think I've taken more phone calls in this last week than ever. You know, it's because uh, we know. Because, you know, the the indefinite opportunity to, to meet is always out there. You don't necessarily get in touch with people. But once you know, oh, my God, I might not see this person for three months, I'm going to give them a call. I'm going to check in. I'm going to drop them a line, you know. So it's, uh, yeah, it is important to be connected. Yeah, yeah. It's that reminder to not take connections for granted, I think. Mm, um, yeah. In terms of your film and TV, TV work, so that's carrying on despite the current climate um, because I know production on a lot of shows has just had to shut down. But are the kind yes. of the the development deals and all that kind of stuff that's carrying on as normal yeah they're um they're, they're going to be desperate for material when all this is, is finished because what would have been in production over the summer as a lot of shows have been bumped to next year um so there's there's going to be there's going to be some this is like the writer's strike uh it was it 2008 you know there was this gold rush afterwards to get stuff done and of course there's a big gold rush with tv shows and what have you at the moment um but yeah weirdly it's it's kind of worked in my favor because I've, I've had a like I said, I've got a film option with a director and a producer attached, and that producer was going to shoot two films over the summer, which are now bumped to next year, which means our project might be coming forward, weirdly. So um, that that's kind of worked in my favour. I know there's a, I've got a TV show in development, and we're at the pitching stage uh, where the production company is pitching it to broadcasters. And um, they, you know, previously they were talking, oh, we're going to fly to LA, we're going to do this, but it's all being done over Zoom or Skype now, you know. So it is still going on. I think they're... Um, Again, they're finding their new normal. They're finding new ways of doing business, and uh, yeah, that. I mean, I guess the thing about this, we do know it's going to end at some point, uh, and we are going to come out the other side, and we just have to, you know, sit tight, but try and keep the cogs going wherever we can. And um, likewise with publishing, I know publishers are still acquiring books. They're still having acquisitions meetings. They're still, you know, looking for new material. So none of that has changed. You, you can feel the despair that oh everything's changed everything's stopped we can't do anything but actually there's still vast opportunities out there even while we're still stuck at our, in our own houses absolutely i mean my heart breaks for anyone i've got friends who are working on films which just stopped i mean i've got a friend who's a documentary maker and um, all his work just dried up overnight yeah. uh, i've got people who you know work in friends who work in um props departments and whatever and they were working on big films and boom everyone's had to go home and of course they're you know freelancers self-employed and you know some of them have a bit of a safety net but not all of them do so if you're in that position my heart breaks for you i mean i know the government's giving some support there but it's some people do those jobs because they love them you know they love working on those movies and shows and what have you and it's um there's always a sense of family on any production like that as well and suddenly the, the family is all broken up you're all sent home so it's it's um it's, it's going to be a difficult period where people pick up the pieces but i do know that the industry is still you know trundling along acquiring stuff looking to the future what what is other than these projects that are bubbling away the the film and tv projects that you can't really talk about what what's your next thing that you're working on well, I'm I'm working on a a, a book series, which uh, I'm hoping to get published the traditional way, and um, it's called The Witches of Woodville, and it's set in a small village in England in the Second World War, 
And the way I pitch it, it's like the last 10 minutes of Bedknobs and Broomsticks meets uh, Dad's Army. It's three witches uh, combating underworld forces. Uh, but what you'll have with this village, it's a bit like the Discworld in that you can focus on different people in the village, different parts of it. And I'm hoping it'll be a series that will run and run and run. And that's that's out in submission at the moment. So i uh, hoping to have some news on that soon. Um, so that's been taking up a lot of my time. That's something where you have the main novels, but you have short stories around it. Uh, you know, there'll be a hub online where you could discover this world and these characters. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a big project. It's one I, I hope could really go for a long time. Yeah, that sounds like enormously good fun. It, it has been great putting it together. It's one of these things that once it all clicked into place, I thought I wished I'd done this ten years ago. But then ten years ago, I might not have been ready for it. But it's been been huge fun to write. It's it's um it it feels like putting on a comfy pair of slippers for me. It feels very me. You know, I uh, I just like it's like walking through a door and there they all are, all the characters. You know, just waiting for me. It's been it's been really really good fun to write. And after doing. The Bisto experiment and self-publishing, and then going the Unbound route. Why have you? Uh, why are you pursuing the traditional route with this one? Um, because my agent said so. Uh, because <laughs> <laughs> doing what you're told. Well, I, 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 I said to him, look, I'm doing this thing, and I'm think, thinking of self-publishing, and he said, look, let me have a shot with it. Let me have a go, uh, because he, he said it's. You, you might get damned for this. He said, that's too good for self-publishing. I said, Ed, come on. He said, no, no, it's too good. Let me Give me a chance with it. So he's he's gone out there with it and um, we've had a nibble. So uh, watch this space. But uh, it's, you know, I, I want to try a bit of everything. You know, I, Robot Overlords was traditionally published, but that was because of the film. I want to sort of prove to myself that I can do something in that traditional space. And to be honest, I think this is the future. I've been talking to a couple of authors I know recently who are kind of mid-list authors. They've been traditionally published, but they want to try a bit of self-publishing as well. I've been talking to an, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Cueve McDonald, who's been very successful self-publishing, but he's just had a book series snapped up by Transworld, which was announced the other day. Um, so I think this is going to be, you know, it's horses for courses. It's, and I just thought this is the kind of thing that if I give to the right publisher, they could actually really run with it, help me build that community, help me get it out there in a way that I probably couldn't do on my own. And, um, yeah, so we shall see. Ask me again in a few months' time. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it sounds like it's kind of the scale of it is something that a traditional publisher could probably cope with. Better. I think so. It's the kind of thing that, I, I mean, there's a slight ulterior motive in that I think it's the sort of thing that if I can get to the right festivals, you know, if I can go to Yelk and uh, MCM Comic Con and London Film and Comic Con, those kind of festivals, uh, I think it would really reach out to that audience. But to do that, you have to be traditionally published. The self-published authors don't really get a shout there for, you know, rightly or wrongly, and probably wrongly. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I, I know where that audience lives and I know that traditional publishing can get to them probably better than I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting seeing what, what you were saying about how in the you know, in coming years, authors are less likely to be solely a traditionally published author or a self-published author. Like Those definitions will kind of go away and it will be book by book. People will just decide what best suits it. 
completely uh, i completely I, it's happening already i'm seeing it happening already and uh, it will become the new normal uh it'll become something that that they all do i think what's put a lot of authors off you know if they're used to being traditionally published they've kind of been wary of self-publishing one there's the kind of oh i don't want to be tainted with that brush or they don't have the skill set to do it they're like well where am i going to find a cover artist where am i going to find an editor where am i going how am i going to do my amazon advertising but there are now well-established reputable service out services out there that do that for you i mean i do my editing i i edit uh you know self-published authors um and there's a huge market out there of people who who need good editors that you know good artwork and what have you and it's uh you know even as recently as five or six years ago it was still a bit iffy are these people reputable are they good but now it's really well and you look at something that readsy do you know go to readsy fantastic editors there great track records uh you know who are going to do a fantastic job there are marketers there you know so it's um that side of the market has matured and i can see authors who've been you know traditionally published you maybe want to do that they they might have that passion project that their publisher or agent has kind of said well we're not we don't think that's commercial enough and then they want to do it on their own you know and i guarantee you're gonna have a few of those that are absolutely smash hits you know uh, I remember we spoke to Angela Marsons on the podcast and her book had been rejected by everyone. You know, it was crime novel set in the black country. Every UK publisher said, well, we can't sell it to America. She's now sold 4 million copies worldwide. <laughs> you know, uh, so <laughs> she went out and plowed her own furrow. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's it's not going to be either or anymore. It's not going to be that divisive. And I also think there's a lot of uh, indie authors who are craving the kind of credibility that traditional published authors get. I mean, Mark Dawson just had this big festival on the South Bank where he had, you know, he filled out the Queen Elizabeth Hall on the South Bank of London with indie authors on the stage and in the audience. You know, that's that's incredible achievement. That's a big sign of how that side of the market has matured. And there's lots of people there earning a very, very good living uh, as indie authors. Yeah. No, yeah, I was reading about that festival. And they managed to sneak it in just before everything got cancelled, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was quite up to the way. It was the same week as the book fair. Right, um, okay. So, um, yeah, he did have a boat party in the evening, which I was invited to, but I figured boats and viruses are not a good combination, so I left early. <laughs> no, yeah, probably wise, probably wise. You don't, you don't want the entire self-published uh, author <laughs> landscape just getting infected. Exactly. <laughs> right, well, thank you very much, Mark. Uh, there's tons of very useful insight and tips there for people. Uh, I think, as you say, uh, finding that new normal is something that we're all having to do. And I feel like you've been doing that for years anyway. Yeah, it's, you know, you've got to roll with the punches, people. Roll with the punches. Uh, you know, find out what works for you and, and go for it. And, you know, if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter at Mark Stay. Uh, my blog is Mark Stay Writes. I've got a Facebook page as well. So if you've got any questions, you know, drop me a line. Happy to help in any way. Definitely. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening and thanks to Mark for talking to us. Also, thank you to all the listeners in Saskatoon, Canada. Oh, new listeners? Yeah, this is uh, had a lot of Saskatoonists. Is that the right term? <laughs> it it is. Not be. A bit like yes, we're Nor- Norwegians. Exactly, yes. yes. Lots of listeners from there uh, over the last month. So hello and thank you for listening. Uh, Mark Dawson, who got mentioned at the end of the podcast conversation just then, uh, he was on the show back in the day as well. And you can listen to our chat with him 
in episode three and uh, it will definitely recalibrate your notion of what you think is possible with self-publishing. And one more thing before we go, our resident bibliotherapist, programme director Peggy Hughes, has been answering all of your book requests via email and social media, and she's posting a blog on our website each week, giving her pick of book recommendations um, based on your questions. So Peggy did a lovely post for us last week where she recommended uh, everything from Jenny Offill to Hilary Mantel. And our next blog post with Peggy's latest recommendations is coming up this week. If you'd like to submit a request to Peggy, whether it's a specific genre or a theme or anything else, you can email us info at nationalcentervariety.org.uk with the subject line bibliotherapy or you can send your request to us via twitter instagram or facebook and peggy will do her best to recommend you some books sounds great we should get peggy on to chat about her recommendations we should absolutely as we mentioned at the start uh, we'd also love to know about how you're adapting your writing techniques and trying to find new ways to fit it into your schedule with all the changes that we're all having to wrap our heads around so do contact us and let us know if, especially if you've got any tips or techniques for other people so you can find us on twitter and instagram at writers center you can find our facebook page or you can check out our website at nationalcenterforwriting.org.uk where you can also sign up to our newsletter please do rate review and subscribe to the podcast because it helps other people to find it thanks again keep writing and we'll catch you on the next episode (music) 